Do you eat too much? Do you drink too much? Do you work around the clock? Can't satisfy that itch, just one more bump and then I'll stop. You can get help for your addiction, it's an affliction for sure. Bringing awareness, it's Derek, the recovering CEO. Hello and welcome uh, to the Recovering CEO podcast. My name is Derek Marabon, the Recovering CEO. And today we have a special guest who is actually live in New Mexico. Uh, but it's more than that. She started a opioid addiction nonprofit uh, run by students that is designed to distribute uh, overdose protection kits and also provide education to anyone related to uh, opioid addiction and then accidental death from opioid overdose. I hope I explained that properly, but the Lookout Project and Victoria Garrow is the leader of that organization. How are you, Victoria? I'm doing really well. Really excited to be here and talk with you more today, Derek. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, I was so excited when I heard about your project and what you're doing because I feel like it's super important. And, um, I mean, tell me a little bit, you know, what is the Lookout Project? What exactly are you doing? Absolutely. So I think you described it pretty well. We are mostly students or recently graduated students, so mostly all under the age of 25 just volunteering our hours and coming together because we're passionate about preventing opioid overdose deaths, as well as breaking down stigma and prioritizing rehabilitation over criminalization in relation to mental health and specifically addiction. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful, Victoria. I mean, you know, as you know, and one of the reasons we're talking is, you know, the Recovering CEO podcast is designed to help uh, people that are dealing with addiction, and that certainly could be opioid addiction, you know, heroin. Um, there's lots of different pills that people get addicted to. I mean, there's there's lots of things to get addicted to, addicted to in today's world. And uh, so we deal mm-hmm. with all types of addiction. So this is definitely relevant to our audience. Um, so so tell me, are you, you're on the road right now, right? You're kind of traveling in the country. What, is, what have you been doing lately? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate to be able to do some skiing while I'm out west this year. I started skiing when I was three years old, and now I am 22 years old, so I can't believe I'm going on almost two decades of skiing, but it is just a passion of mine and how I feel most myself. So I went to Taos yesterday and last week and did some skiing in Colorado last week as well, so it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Gosh, lucky you. Um, and then is it right that you're coming back uh, to Michigan and you're going to be going to medical school? Yeah. So I was accepted to the University of Michigan Medical School during my senior year at University of Michigan. And mm-hmm. I was really struggling with burnout at the end of college. I I mean, I have been in school since I was four years old and always taken on a lot of challenges and extracurriculars throughout the summer and whatnot. And was really just feeling exhausted and struggling with depression at the end of the pandemic. And I really wanted to travel. And I found a van on vancamper.com, asked if I could differ for a year, and then got a one-way ticket to Montana. Mm-hmm. Wow. Love it. I love it. And that's that's really what life is all about. Um, but you were just in town recently, right, for a addiction event, right, where you distributed kits. I mean, tell me a little bit about that event. Absolutely. So it was on two twenty two twenty two, and that's actually how I knew I had to go because twenty two has been my lucky number growing up. Um, so attended this event, and it was called We Can Be Heroes, and. 
the first really awesome part of it is that there was a showcase for artists who have been affected by substance use disorders. So the community got to see some really amazing art and also engage with the artists there. And then there was a movie actually about a boxer named Taylor Doerr, who's from Michigan, and he recounts his story throughout the documentary of how he struggled with addiction and as well as all the people he's unfortunately lost to overdose and the experiences that he's had himself with overdose and how he really poured his heart into into boxing and has been on an ongoing journey of recovery. And so after that event, there was a panel discussion and Taylor pulled a list out of his pocket and read through a few dozen names of people that were either close acquaintances or friends of his growing up who had passed of an overdose. And so the Lookout Project team was in the lobby before and after the event, as well as um, watching the event and passing out overdose response kits to anyone who is willing to take one and, and learn how to be equipped. Wow. Wow. Was there a pretty positive uh, reaction from the community for the, the free giveaways for the kits? Yeah, absolutely. There definitely was. And the whole event was free, which is really awesome to just remove any barriers there. But mm. everyone was excited to see us. And it was also really exciting to hear some feedback about people who had already heard about the work we were doing. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, but really, it, it's a great way to make a difference, you know, and um, I was not at that event. I really wish I was uh, to, to see that movie and to like, hear the stories. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've known a lot of people that have died in in recovery, um, and oftentimes they just say, "Well, so and so died." You know, they never say why, but almost always it's it's an overdose. And, and and I think, I mean, you you know this more than I do, but the person does not mean to overdose. It's it's all, almost always accidental, right? I mean, it's uh, and there's lots of reasons why it happens, right? I mean, is that is that true in your experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, um, this this podcast is, is focused specifically um, to people in the workplace, and overdose can happen anywhere, which is why it's really great to be equipped and hold on to an overdose response kit at any time. Um, but also specifically, one population that the Lookout Project has a big heart for is people who have been recently incarcerated, as that community is up to 127 times more likely to die of a drug overdose than the general population in the two weeks following being released from incarceration. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Well, tell us a little bit about that, because I know you had kind of a unique story growing up, and your biological mother actually passed away from overdose. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So growing up, Things were were definitely a mix um, of going back and forth between stable and tumultuous um, because of the different addictions that were manifesting in my family. Um, and my biological mom and dad um, both were were using substances at the time and ended up splitting up when I was about two years old. And by the time I was about five or six, my biological dad had gotten remarried and I ended up getting adopted um, by his new wife. Um, and that was because, unfortunately, uh, my biological mom, my Katie mom, I always called her, 
um, she was just too sick to be able to take care of of someone else um, at that state in her addiction. And so she she first became addicted when when she was 19 years old, and that continued on um, until she passed away when I was 13. After being released from incarceration for a drug possession, and so essentially she was ill. She had a substance use disorder, uh, and obviously then had had drugs that were deemed illegal. Um, then she was she was put in jail instead of being provided rehabilitation. And like so many others, after she gets out, um, her tolerance is way down, and she goes to use the same amount that she was treated for before because she hasn't received proper um, addiction treatment services while being incarcerated. And it's too much. And with opioids being in the brain in mass amounts like that, it essentially shuts down our breathing. And if there isn't someone there to wake you up or call 911 or administer Narcan, the person dies. Um, and unfortunately, that's what happened to my Katie mom and has happened to, to so many other loved ones throughout this country. Hmm. Wow, that is so sad. Jeez. Um, so, so that incident, you know, and then as you grew up, you realized that there was there was a real need for this type of not only uh, not only these kits, right, to have Narcan or to have you know um, something that can actually save the person, but also the education about what to do, what to look for, all those things. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I started realizing the importance of all of that. Uh, really kind of between my sophomore and junior year of college at U of M. But I just want to give you a little bit of background of how I got yeah. there. Um, because please, a lot of please. people that are in my situation, unfortunately, are not able to escape um, those tough, um, abusive situations often when people are struggling with substance use disorders. Um, and so really – what saved me is maybe just another form of addiction, and that was just wanting to gain people's approval and succeed. And so throughout high school, I decided I wanted to be a doctor, um, was super intrigued by genetics, um, but also, you know, I figured it would be a pretty cool feather in my cap to have an MD at the end of my name. Um, but, you know, I was working for that, working for that, and got to do shadowing in high school on a heart unit, got to be a part of a career technical center for allied health, learned so much, uh, dissect a lot of cow hearts, and was just super, super excited about it. Um, got involved with an organization called Health Occupation Students of America and really started developing leadership through that and got into U of M. Um, they sent me a packet in the mail that said that if I was accepted, they would uh, provide me with a four-year full-ride scholarship. And so I was just blown away to realize that this opportunity was to, was within my reach. Um, and so ended up pursuing that. But as I was going on through my first and second year of college at the University of Michigan, I was trying to check all the right boxes, trying to make sure I got shadowing hours, trying to make sure I did research and I was actually with a mentor in a brain cancer research lab that I was working on, and I was sharing about my Katie mom story and about the opioid epidemic and addiction. And I realized that I could be a part of that work. 
as a physician. I could be a part of something that I am so passionate about. And sure, while, you know, doing cell cultures and trying to find cures for brain cancer is super exciting, it wasn't, it was still work. It wasn't my passion. Um, but moving into the summer before my junior year, I was trying to find an internship. And I was at this crossroads where I had been accepted for an internship for brain cancer stem cell research at Harvard. And I was also accepted for an internship at Johns Hopkins University, uh, specifically working with HIV, AIDS, and hepatitis C. And while my whole life I'd been consumed by my desire to achieve and get into schools like Harvard, I really decided to be honest with myself about how I wanted my life to go and ended up turning down Harvard and going to Baltimore for 11 weeks. Um, and there I worked at a clinic for people who inject drugs, and I also became certified as a tester and counselor for HIV, AIDS, and hepatitis C. And there during our street outreach team um, met a woman who had just realized she was four months pregnant and addicted to heroin and also saw Narcan being passed out and started reflecting on the great need um, specifically for people who have been incarcerated um, in this country to have access to those life-saving resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what an amazing story. Um, you sound like a child prodigy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Um, yeah, but it's good, right? So it, it kind of led you down that path, and then you realize that you can use your, your power for good, so to speak, right? Um, yeah, very interesting. So you started this nonprofit when you were still in undergrad. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I was 19 at the time that I came up with the idea in October of 2019. Okay, okay. And how how did you get funding, and how can people fund this? I mean, I know it's, it's a nonprofit, right? So I imagine you take donations, like – how does that work for your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So starting off, I saw this poster on campus, and it said, Optimize Social Innovation Challenge. Win up to $20,000 to fund your ideas. And their slogan was always, why not me, um, in relation to social issues, right? Like, why not step up and make a change that I, that I want to see in the world? And so got involved in that and recruited team members through that. And by February of 2020, we were standing in front of a panel of 25 judges. And out of hundreds of teams, um, we ended up being one of the teams selected to receive the project funding. And so that's how we got started. Wow. And moving forward, we continue to have um, a lot of other people invest in us, including the Barger Leadership Institute at the University of Michigan, the awesome foundation of Ann Arbor, the Ann Arbor Community, uh, Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation, which provided us with awesome catch a fire resources and also U of M, uh, library grants. So we've had a variety of funding, but now to really keep this project sustainable, we're moving a lot more towards, as you said, donations and also fundraising. And so coming up in the community, we're hoping to do some restaurant fundraisers. And that's kind of just our dipping our toes in the water, uh, but also going to be collecting donations at different events um, that we continue to engage in in the community. And 
on our website, lookoutproject.org, we also have a donation page. And so people can feel free to donate through PayPal or Venmo or sending checks. Okay. Okay, yeah, that, no, that's amazing. Um, so you said student-run. So there are other students that are part of this organization. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So we're around, I believe we're approaching about 20 people at this point um, on the team. And we have six different committees. We have uh, a research committee, a kit distribution committee, nonprofit management, community outreach, funds, and also what's the last one? Oh, education. Yes, of course. So those are our six committees and all led by either people who have graduated last year from the University of Michigan or are currently at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor or Dearborn, and we're hoping to get more students involved in this project from other schools as well, um, as well mm -hmm. as adults, um, and specifically people who have had experience with overdose um, or opioid addiction. Uh, we're always looking for ideas, suggestions, um, uh, partnerships, and would love any nominations um, from you or the audience for our community advisory board. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think, know some people that could help you um, now that I'm learning more about your project. Um, so just, you know, some thoughts, because you mentioned uh, there's a high rate of overdose for people that get out of prison, right? And and we, we both know that it's really wrong that people get shoved into jails and prisons because um, there really is no no good uh, treatment and mental health care for them, you know, and unless you have an inordinate amount of money to pay for it, you're really, you're stuck. You know, they just prosecute, you know, the war on drugs. They just prosecute people that have drugs or do drugs. Um, so we have a long way to go there. Also, I think you mentioned to me the last time we spoke about a really high overdose rate among African Americans. Um, specifically, is that is that something you've seen in your kind of research? So that's definitely a huge problem, um, and unfortunately, African-American men especially are, are very vulnerable, and I think this is for a variety of reasons, and um, as a, a white young woman, I do not necessarily feel qualified to, to relay all this uh, information, but from my understanding, um, obviously, uh, black men are being incarcerated at way higher rates in our country. Um, than other populations. And so within the prison industrial complex, we have super high rates of black men, and we know that people being released from incarceration are going to be susceptible to overdose. So that is one big um, overlap, as well as the fact that, unfortunately, African Americans are less likely to have access to some of these resources, um, including harm reduction supplies, uh, whether that be because of um, their insurance, um, whether or not they have access to medical care or harm reduction services in their area. So that's also a big focus of the Lookout Project and something we're hoping to expand on. Um, and we have been doing some research about who our kits have been going to. And it looks like we're riding a bit over 9% of our kits going to people who selected just um, identifying as uh, African-American. Mm -hmm. And so that is, I, I believe, just slightly lower than the percent 
in our country, and you uh, don't want to cite me on that exactly, but I believe it's somewhere between 10 and 13 percent of our country um, identifies as African American. Uh, and so we're really hoping to continue to have that percentage increase. Um, that way, we can just promote equity and having these resources be distributed to those most in need. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, Victoria, this is wonderful. Um, you know, I know we were talking last time about ways to get get the message out. And I, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about your story. I'm thinking about the stories of um, people who, whose loved ones have overdosed, right? I mean, I, I do feel like those stories are probably the most powerful way to tell, you know, to um, kind of raise awareness, right? Because like when I read a story about someone that overdoses accidentally, you know, especially if it could have been avoided, um, you know, especially if they were young, you know, all these things, it's it's heartbreaking, right? And uh, it's heartbreaking. So have you had like people come to you who, who have had loved ones overdose, like family, um, members, things like that, have they come to you and wanted to help or share their experience and stories? Yes, almost every day. Um, it is very rare for me to ever meet someone who cannot at the very least say that they or someone they know has been seriously affected by addiction. And more often um, than I would like, unfortunately, actually just yesterday when I was skiing at Taos, um, I was skiing with a new friend that I met and I was telling her about the Lookout Project, and she told me that as a child, uh, I think she said she was seven at the time, she called an ambulance because her mom had o overdosed on opioids. And so this is just a story we hear over and over and over again, and that is very often why people are getting involved with the Lookout Project is because they've lost a loved one to an overdose. Mm -hmm. And so just so grateful for the way that in light of such an injustice that people can stand up and fight against that and try to just help so that um, in honor of a life lost, um, lives are being saved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, 100%. 100%. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was just, you know, when I was reading through the Lookout Project website and whatnot, um, I know you said your 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 Katie mom, your biological mom was named Katie. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That was that was my biological mom's name, which I didn't realize mm. we had that in common, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Because I was adopted. I was adopted. I, and that, granted, I was adopted as a as a baby, you know. Um, but I, I learned as I met my biological mom and my biological father that alcoholism is rampant. You know, addiction, drug addiction it's rampant in my past, you know, and that's, um, I think part of my job and one of the reasons I started the podcast and, is to kind of break the cycle. You know, I feel like by raising awareness and by changing how we act and changing how we treat, you know, mental illness and whatnot, we can break the cycle. And, um, it seems like this intervention that you're introducing, you know, um, like for, for example, you suggest businesses like my business or, or like corporations should have, Narcan kits and overdose protection kits as a, as a standard practice, right? In, in addition to their band-aids and whatever other first aid kits they have lying around. Um, exactly. I mean, we need we need we need to change the way people deal with this, correct? I, I definitely think so. I think that everyone should know about how to respond to an overdose the same way that everyone knows that when you give 
CPR, you know, you're going to the staying alive song and um, pumping the chest 30 times and giving two things of air. Like, we, we know these things. So let's also know what naloxone, Narcan is and how to use it. And also, let's just continue to talk about these things and break down stigma because ultimately it doesn't matter how much naloxone we have. If people are using alone out of shame and isolation from the stigma of addiction, it doesn't matter if there's naloxone there. They're they're going to pass and they're going to pass alone. Um, mm-hmm. So continuing to have these conversations uh, and to destigmatize um, drug use and to just continue to make treatment more accessible. Ultimately, there there aren't enough treatment resources in our country to serve everyone that needs treatment. Um, so we need to keep talking about it and we need to keep making steps to make the situation better and end the war on drugs and instead put all those funds towards rehabilitation and prevention. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, and I know over in Europe, for example, they're, um, like they're giving out things like clean needles. They're, uh, there's actually places you can go <laughs> to, uh, to do drugs where it's safe and where there is resources, you know, um, because I think you're right. You know, like I've, I've had, I've had people overdose and it, and it is, they are alone and, um, and it is, there's a lot of shame, you know, and, and, uh, depression or whatever, you know, and, oh God. And, and then you get the call and it's like, come on, man. And it's just, yeah, it, something's got to give, and, and there's like you said, there's not enough, there's not enough lifeguards in the pool. There's not enough resources. Like every therapist I know is booked with a two to three month waiting list, and those are mm-hmm. people that have insurance. I mean, an insurance is so expensive, right? So like, I mean, mental health care is just not a priority versus putting food on the table, right? Um, but that's killing people. I mean, I think it, it right. sounds like you're very passionate about this. I mean, I am too, it in a different way. Um, yeah, it's upsetting to think about. <laughs> yeah, it it is really upsetting, and there are so many issues. And sometimes the immensity of those issues can be paralyzing. Um, but I think that uh, as I was just, I was actually just talking to Jim Balmer, who you've had on the podcast before, uh, right before this. But we were chatting about addiction and how. The, the cure to addiction is hope. Um, and I think that's on a personal context, um, of recovering from, um, one's substance use disorder, but also on, uh, a more community-wide, um, and societal level as well is, is hope for the healing of these diseases and, um, proper management of it, both in terms of proper medical care as well as just how we treat people. Um, who are suffering from substance use disorders. So that hope is that we're making strides. Um, you talked about how in Europe there are places, uh, safe injection sites, and actually there's one in New York now. So that's progress. That's making sure that people are alone and not going to die of an overdose while they're using it. It's also connecting them to services. And my hope uh, throughout my career and my involvement in the Lookout Project is to just inspire more people to go into this field, more therapists, more social workers, more 
addiction medicine, doctors, psychologists, peer recovery coaches, all of the above working together on this issue. And if we can keep inspiring people to go into helping other people recover, um, the more people there are to help, the more people are going to recover. And I am really hopeful for the the generations to come and the changes that are being made first in our minds and then hopefully we can see them playing out in society in the next few decades and in very real ways to make treatment equitable, accessible, and effective. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, bravo, Victoria. I mean, you're only 22 years old. I love that you're doing all this, you know, and I, and honestly, I love that you're going to go to medical school because I do feel like that MD after your name will give you um, some of the credibility and the ability to even do greater, greater, you know, help, um, greater help. You know, I, I just, I, I have to explain something, you know, I feel like, cause so I've been sober a long time, right? I've been sober like 25 years from drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. All right. And there's a little story I have just to tell you. Um, but recently, you know, I, I struggle with really all addictions. You know, recently I had a sugar relapse, right? I try not to eat sugar because I'm very addicted to sugar. Um, and I was watching a presentation recently where, you know, they were talking about like, uh, heroin or cocaine, you know, which come from poppies, right? Um, or from the cacao leaves and like, you know, the poppies aren't dangerous. You could eat them all day. The cacao leaves, people do eat them. It's like kind of like coffee. And it's mm-hmm. not dangerous until you distill it down to its essence, right? And concentrate right. it. And the heroin and the cocaine. Um, similar to like, uh, flour or sugar, uh, which, you know, sugar comes from lots of different things. Corn, sugar cane, different things. Um, which are all fine. But when you distill it down to the white powder again, you know, the white crystals, then it becomes very, very addictive. And, uh, Sugar has a similar reaction to like drugs, like it's similarly yeah. addictive. Um, and so I was on the sugar relapse, right? And, and it's funny, it's 25 years in my rearview mirror from doing any drugs. But you know, everyone was out of town last week. Like my wife was on spring break with my daughter. Nobody was home, and and I like in my house. You know, I make sure I have enough ice cream, like hot fudge, candy bars, which is <laughs> craziness, you know. And it reminds me very similar to someone who gets all their drugs and like, and sets up shop, you know, to, to do drugs or, or drinks, get up, get all my alcohol together. So I don't have to leave and I can just drink as much as I want until I can't do it anymore. And, um, but when I say something like that, I say that because there's some people out there that don't understand. And honestly, someone hooked on heroin is not very different in my opinion than someone hooked on sugar. Then you think one might be more acceptable, but that's also bullshit. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. both like addictive drugs, addictive substances. Um, and so I think, you know, part of that education is letting people understand like, hey, man, this is not much different than you, you know, um, eating a bowl of ice cream every night. Right. I mean, it slightly is different. Um, maybe ice cream won't kill you, but diabetes will kill you. You know, heart failure mm-hmm. will kill you. It's a, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's such a struggle to avoid these things that are very, very, very addictive, honestly. Absolutely. And there's just so much judgment around certain things, specifically in relation to pregnant people, which is kind of the the field that I'm going down. Um, But think about who's getting more judgment, someone that is uh, using opioids 
um, during pregnancy or someone that's eating a bunch of junk food. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's probably going to be the person that is using opioids. Um, and that's a whole other topic I could go into, but that's what you can expect uh, from, from me in the future is um, narrowing in as well to that population. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think your generation um, are the ones to carry the torch. You know, the, the people that are young and graduating this next generation, these digital natives um, who've grown up with more of a sense of, um, I mean, you can see what's happening. You know, you can see it more. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's incredible. But I mean, so I love the Lookout Project. I, I love it. I think it's it's going to grow. You know, I do have some connections for you. I have some friends that are in, like, prison reform and stuff like that, which I think could be good connections for you. Um, but, you know, I don't know. When you were telling me your story, honestly, when you said you kind of got burnt out of school and then you went skiing and all this, it made me wonder if you were still going to go to medical school because you always went to school to try and, you know, people please, right, and to do what would look good. And then you made a choice yeah. to go skiing and take a year off. But do you think you'll come back to it? <laughs> Can you come back to it with a different perspective? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I'm actually currently editing a letter asking you if I'm medical school for another deferment. So hopefully they read the letter before anyone listens to this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But I am really thinking about taking one more year to continue leading the lookout project. Honestly, I've never been so happy working on something, so content and so sure of myself working on something than I am now. And I do have a strong desire to become an OBGYN with a specialty in addiction medicine. Um, But it seems like one of my motivators for starting it this coming year is more so just what other people think. Like, oh, you know, just get on, start school, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think my heart is telling me that one more year leading this organization, soaking in wisdom from all the people that are pouring into the Lookout Project right now, and as mm-hmm. I mentioned before, encouraging um, my peers to also pursue careers um, in addiction medicine and harm reduction, I just don't think I can pass up um, an opportunity to spend more one more year doing this work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta trust your gut. You gotta follow your heart. You know, I mean, if you if you can turn down Harvard, <laughs> you know, I mean, like you have you have nothing to worry about. Um, you do. You know, and it's interesting. You, I know you're into skiing, right? And uh, so tell me this: like when you're skiing, uh, do you kind of hit that meditative state where you really kind of get inspired and you get ideas and like you get clarity on things? Like is that is that kind of a spiritual experience for you? Would you say? Absolutely. And it's also a great break from phones, which is something that my generation also uh, is is very addicted to and I've struggled with myself in the past. And so I think that for anyone seeking that flow state where they're really inspired to create something, do a project and work on something meaningful, you need that deep focus and concentration um, that you can only get from separating yourself from something so um, dopamine activating as our cell phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just just before I talked to you, I just interviewed a, a PhD who specializes in kind of like device addiction <laughs> and uh, video game addiction, all those things that 
people are also struggling from. So, yeah, I think I think we're all in it. And the reason he got in it is because his daughter, he got her an iPhone, and she just, like, got lost in it. You know, I think we all have our reasons to get in. Um, and then we have to do our job to make a difference. It's like a calling, right? Like you said, you've never been more sure that this is your calling to do this, the Lookout Project, to help, right? Um, Absolutely. I'm excited to listen to that podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, so, okay, well, well, Victoria, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could talk all day. I think you're a very fascinating and interesting person. Um, is there anything you want to kind of like tell our listeners to kind of sum up uh, how they could help or, or what, what your advice to them would be? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say first let's take shame out of the picture. Uh, let's stop associating um, shame with ourselves in relation to addictions we might be struggling with and also um, encouraging grace over shame in our relationships with other people with substance use disorders and let's also just continue striving to get educated and learn more um, about what it's like to live with a substance use disorder, how we can work towards recovery, and how we can all do that as part of a supportive community. And that would be my my takeaway. Um, feel free for anyone in Michigan to over order a free overdose response kit at lookoutproject.org slash getnarcan. And also just wanted to give a huge shout-out to all the amazing volunteers who are a part of making the Lookout Project happen, as well as our awesome mentors like Addiction Medicine Dr. Dr. Hopper, um, Dr. Gia Dahlum, an expert on training on overdose prevention, as well as Mario Nanos at Families Against Narcotics, and Derek Jackson and Carrie Rose Jackson, which have an awesome amount of affiliations in terms of social justice and recovery in this community. So thank you to, to everyone, and thank you, Derek, for having me. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Victoria, you are awesome. Lookoutproject.org. Um, we will post information about you and your uh, link, all links to your project and how people can support in the show notes. And uh, thank you for being a part of the Recovering Video podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Victoria. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Derek. And for you and any listener, feel free to reach out to me at victoria at thelookoutproject.org. The email address has the, and the website does not have the word the, unfortunately, um, but would love to chat with anyone. Thank you so much. Do you eat too much? Do you drink too much? Do you work around the clock? Can't satisfy that it's just one more bump and then I'll stop. You can get help for your addiction. It's an affliction for sure. Bringing awareness. It's Derek, the recovering CEO.